because it is it's so easy to feel outside and you can't express yourself and i think it's important that you do eventually at a time that you feel that's safe for you to do so reach out to your community and it'll be okay when society tells you you're not okay and there's a character on television who is like you watching them on television tells you as a viewer i see you you're okay you're going to be okay there is a future for you the rest of the world may not get you but i got you anger and hate comes from ignorance um no one's anger no angry is not a thing it's an addition and it's addition to ignorance in addition to pain to jealousy to depression but you can only be you you can only be the person you were born to be and love and support yourself in that Hello, and welcome to episode 56 of the Hollywood Hustle podcast, where we will be exploring topics like the intern business model, Beth Ryan's documentary Feeling Seen, the struggles of the LGBTQ community, the film portrays, and as always, how we survive the city of dreams, Los Angeles. It is I, your host, Daniel Tuttle, and I am so excited to share with you our amazing roundtable discussion with casting associate Beth Ryan. In Act 2, our producer Michael Lutheran joins Beth and I for an exciting roundtable discussion. We discuss the importance of gaining experience by starting at the bottom, Beth's upcoming documentary Feeling Seen, which discusses the impact of film and television's previous representation of lesbians, which is followed by a deeper conversation about LGBTQ representation in media, bullying, and finding peace with you. Finally, we talk about our favorite cast of all time in TV and film. This is an episode I am excited and honored to bring you. Make sure to stick around after the interview to hear about Beth's Kickstarter campaign for Feeling Scene and to hear some clips from the trailer. Then Michael joins me for some updates and takeaways from this exciting discussion. And finally, we each give you some hustle support to get you through the week and move you from your Fox squad room to your NBC squad room. Nine, nine. Now, let the hustle begin. Welcome back. This is Daniel, your host. Thank you so much for joining us again for Act Two. I am still here with the casting guru, Miss Beth Ryan. Hi, Beth. Hello. How are you doing? I'm excellent. Thank it's a very you. nice day. It's been a lot of rain recently, so it's nice to sit down and see the sun shining down. Yesterday was a really nice day, and it was really it kind of stunk because it would have been nice to go on a hike, but everything had just rained, so it was all mud. But it was like the perfect hike day yes. at the same time, which is frustrating. Um, but besides that, also here with us. Is my man? I, I don't have an intro for you today. I'm, I'm I disappointed. I failed. Uh, I'm disappointed. Let me see. Oh, here we go. I got it. <clears throat> my storyboard, Mr. Michael Lutheran. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I will also note that as the actor sitting at the table, it's been so hard not to like speak up during this whole interview because there's so many like, yes, I completely agree with Beth, or like, <laughs> I should have known those things. Six years ago, the, the amount of times Michael threw his hands in the air, like, oh, 
<laughs> so that's why I didn't that's get That's why cast. I didn't get the part. Let uh, him speak. He, he <laughs> cried for 20 minutes at one point in the interview. It was depressing. Um, so let's just kind of just get started real quick. Just kind of talking about, you know, one of the things about the entertainment industry that's a little different from a lot of other industries. And it's very much an intern based industry. You start off as an intern, for the most part, usually unpaid for college credits and stuff. But what's tough also is on top of that, you see entry level jobs in the entertainment industry where it's like you need three years desk experience at an agency. And like that is not an entry level job. Uh, so, I, you know, for all of us really trying to get into our foot into the door, uh, especially more with Beth and myself, more in the corporate side. I, obviously, Michael's more on that actor side, even though he does some of the corporate side with Hollywood Hustle. How did you know? How did you deal with that? Did you did you do an internship, Beth, when you started? I got very lucky. I did a two week internship. <laughs> <laughs> I was so lucky. I, it might be because I, I also came into the business a little bit older. Um, I'd had six years of nonprofit stuff under my belt and a whole host of other things. And um, when I started the internship. Uh, I think the the casting director's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's let's teach you. You're ready to go. You know how to answer the phone. So, yeah. <laughs> you know how to talk to people. You're right. Not be crazy. Well, I mean that's debatable. <laughs> I'll amend that statement. <laughs> she knows how to talk to people. Yes. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's weird because you know there's recently been this growing idea of like that uh, having to not get paid to put to build your name and build your resume. And there's been a kind of recently more of a resistance to that and an argument for paying people for their talent. And, you know, that's really hard for especially someone like, you know, me and Michael starting Hollywood Hustle Podcast, where we want to add team members to to the show and and to the background, you know, the, the background work. But we don't have the money to pay them. And it's really I mean, we debate all the time asking people to come and do this for free. And it's it's a hard thing. What's you know? Is there a good way at all to approach that? You guys think? Oh gosh, I mean, I do think in our specific situation, right, or any startup business, you're going to have that period where it's all hard work, all hard work, all hard work. But with the hope and and I think internal knowledge that we're going to grow in such a way that we'll eventually be able to give what people are worth and for the time and stuff. And but it's also the way you treat people. I think it's, you know, if you can't pay people, you know, money that they greatly deserve, like you treat them with respect, you're that they have just as much of an equal say at the table and that you're not treating them, I don't know, poorly. I, I think valuing not only the work that they do, but that the fact that they just keep showing up and that they're always ready and offering new ideas, that is something that, you know, how much that's that's so invaluable. Um, so I think if you can't pay people with money, there's other ways to pay people back. I'm, I'm just trying to think of like other ways to bring people into other projects that you've got going on. Well, I think, you know, I think you hit a point there, like with the respect, it's also, you know, being aware that they're doing this for free, like be, and so also having respect for their time. So if they do get a paid opportunity, you don't get mad that they can't be somewhere. You know, you're not paying them, you know, and so I think that's a that's important. And an understanding that it's limited. I mean, one of the things that's so great about 
working for well so great about working for free <laughs> or, or don't have to worry about all that a, cash in your pocket <laughs> right or quote unquote interning because actually it, it's it's very there are very limited opportunities in casting it's not allowed in, unless you are getting college credit but there are other ways to to help out um but this is this is an apprenticeship based industry like certain certain avenues within this business um are things you can learn in university. You know, you can learn about filming, being a film director, or camera operator, learn about editing and whatnot, the film history. But a lot of these jobs you have to learn on the job. So as long as it's understood that it's limited, um, you're only going to be there for so long while there's an equal, a mutual benefit. Um, and also learning what you don't want to do. That's so important. I mean, when I was coming back into this industry and I, I was, you know, volunteering to work on student projects and short films, not in the capacity of casting, but in other ways. And then I could really learn what everybody, how everybody functioned, what all the jobs were so that later I could communicate with them effectively. And also you meet other PAs, you meet other interns who are interested in doing other things and you end up, you know, you find your tribe. Right, you, right. Yeah. I, I think that just when you uh, were just talking about, you learn the things that you don't want to do that kind of like hit, strongly with me and that it is an opportunity like it sucks that you're not getting paid but it's so easy to do what you love for free it's a lot harder to convince someone to do work that they don't like doing and if they don't like doing that kind of work they're not going to benefit you or your your tribe but it's also not going to benefit them as well and I think it's so important for people especially here in Los Angeles like if you don't like doing something you know that doesn't just don't do it. You know, you're wait, you're going to be wasting your time, but I don't know. At the same time, it is so important to learn that like, okay, that's an experience like social media. I don't like doing social media. So maybe I shouldn't be the one spending all these hours doing social media. If it's something that doesn't resonate with me, right. if that makes sense. Right. No, I, I think that's important. And I think, you know, coming from what you said, like the idea of apprenticeship, where, you know, you definitely hear a lot of people when they talk, especially screenwriters and stuff was, you know, I finally, I found a mentor in this person or, you know, directors, the same thing. I found a mentor in this person and living in, in the business of it's not what you know, it's who you know, that can be really important. You know, it's, it would be different if you say, oh, I, stu- I worked and studied under Steven Spielberg then be able to be like, oh, you probably know your stuff. Like he probably taught you well. And so I think on the other end, it just depends on who also you're interning for. Because I've heard horror stories of people interning, like, they didn't spend time with me. They wouldn't do anything with me. All they did was yell at me. And I literally just could not wait to get out of there. And then you have the ones who are like, oh, they were great. They taught me so much. They spent hours with me. They let me just follow them, you know. And so I think it just depends on who you're interning for and their kind, their, who they are as a person. You know, one of the things Mike and I always talk about when someone does jump on board with us for free and working with us is that we promise them we will work as hard as we can and harder than they are going to. And we're going to work as hard, if not harder, to make sure they get paid eventually. And on top of that, depending on what it is they do for us, when we need someone to do that again, they're the first person we'll go to. There's a sense of loyalty and appreciation that comes from that. And I think that's important. And how wonderful for you also, because I think, I mean, there are people who like to teach and people who don't. There are people who want to mentor and people who don't. And I think the good teachers, the good mentors are people who understand that they can learn something from their student, Mm -hmm. from their mentee, and they become, you know, better at their jobs through the, through the practice of teaching. 
And and I think that's so important. Yeah. As as someone who occasionally I've I've directed certain projects and stuff, and as an actor, there's no better opportunity to learn about acting than when you're directing. Yes. And it because it it, it shifts you in, in in different ways, and it makes you appreciate what it is that actors do, or or what it is that your production staff do when you're trying to coordinate all of these elements. But it also makes you a better artist. In return, and I, I believe both Josh Otter and Michael Tucker, uh, directors that we've had on previously, both said that they suggest that if you want to be a director, that you take an acting class and that you delve yourself a little bit in that world so you can understand what they go through, what they do. That it's not just pick up a script and learn the lines. That there's a lot more that goes through it for most actors, and so it's definitely important to always put yourself in somebody else's shoes for a moment and kind of see where they're coming from, but just making sure that you're aware of the time and the energy that people are putting out there. And and I'll also say, just going back to the beginning part of this topic of like starting from the bottom, starting from the ground up uh, as an actor, that is every actor starts at that. You know, we, we do, whether it's community theater, whether it's student films, you can't approach it with this thinking of like, oh, when I start, I'm going to get paid right away. Because I think, and, and Beth, maybe you can speak to this as, as someone in casting and Daniel from directing, you can tell passion when it walks in the room. Yes. Like you can, it, it, it just, it's part of who you are. And if you're coming from a perspective of, I'm, I'm going to walk in and I'm going to get paid, right? It doesn't necessarily work that way. There's an idea that transcends all professions and, and, not, and even beyond profession of like, I'll be happy when I achieve X, Y, and Z. And the thing that I love about artists is that the I'll be happy when is happening right now. Absolutely, there's a business component. There, there are, we have dreams. You know, there, there are goals that we'd like to achieve. But, it, and yes, you know, is the, the struggle is real. You know, we would like to live comfortably and not have to worry about money. But Or, or have a, a, a separate day job. Right. That is not anything to do with what you actually want to do. Right. But you know, we were, we were, my wife and I were at, um, we were hanging out with some actors last night and, and they said, you know, ultimately, what do you want to do? And yeah, there are things I'd like to achieve, but I'm doing it. And I spent a long time in jobs that I hated that, you know, hurt, hurt my soul. Um, but really I'm doing it. You know, the, the little things, the table reads, the, the, the meeting actors day to day at my job, like, yeah, of course there are things that are frustrating, but I, it, it's not a, I'll be happy when it is, it's, I'm happy now. Things are hard, but that's when you know you're, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. I think it's important to, when you are working at the bottom as an intern or maybe an assistant, um, to be grateful for, especially if you have someone who's being a great mentor and who's really teaching you, who's taking you on their wing, taking advantage of that and making sure you're asking questions. Cause there's going to be a point when, if you're asking that question, people are going to be like, you don't know anything that you're doing because you've reached a certain level or passed a certain age or, you know, you've been in this thing for so many years. So at this time, ask all the questions you can be grateful that you may be able to go into this room that after a certain amount of time or depending on your, your position, you won't be able to get into. You're in this right now because this other person is in this room mm -hmm. and be grateful that you get that talk. Open your eyes, listen. And, you know, you may be forgotten a little bit, but that's your that's an advantage because they're going to talk about stuff they may not think about talking if, if they knew you were in the room. Mm -hmm. So keep your ears open. Just write down anything you hear that just sounds like a good I, good advice or 
you see someone do something like, oh, I don't want to do that. You know, make that and also just to respond to what you were just saying, Beth, I think that's also just such a healthy mindset to have, whether you're in a market like Los Angeles, New York, or something where it's so easy to see others succeeding versus where you're not, you're not doing the thing that you want to be doing and stuff. And that's being happy now, being happy with just even even the necessity things like you have a roof over your head and you have a loved one or you have creative people that connect with you and understand your worth and your work and that you're creating on something together that is something of success um a a podcast i just started listening to called as told by nomads uh it's a you know very much like you know working life motivation stuff like that and they had a, a gentleman on there by the name of paul cunningham and he said something to the effect of whenever uh you feel like you're getting demolished, that's life getting you polished. Oh, interesting. In that these experiences of like you feeling um, like you're doing all this work, but maybe not getting the results that you want to have or anything. This is all just learning experience so that when you have, when you're, when you've booked the work as an actor, when I'm on set, all of those frustrations, all of those moments all lead to this moment. And they're all things that I can use within my work. You know, it's, we can't always be happy. We have to have some of the gray. We have to have some of the sad, but that makes those great times so much better. Absolutely. And, and, and I'm not belittling the struggle or downplaying it, you know, and, and I, I also don't believe in forced positivity. Mm -hmm. You know, if if you're, if you're having a bad day or a bad few weeks, like if work is really hard, then it, you know, own that and be in it. Mm -hmm. Um, But we are hundred percent responsible for our own happiness. So that's why I say all the time, you know, create your own stuff. I mean, look, that's exactly what you guys are doing. Mm -hmm. And it looks like right now in the moment, you're happy. (laughs) And I am too. Like we're, we're having this great conversation and, you know, it's being present. Yes. It's being so present. And I, and I will be the first to admit at this table, it's a struggle sometimes staying present and everything and to not get locked into oh i wish i could have changed this back then or oh what do i want to do in the future but if you're just focused on being present and being with the people that you're with and working on the project it's it's so easy to find that happiness i, I think you know i won't admit that but <laughs> <laughs> um no I, I think something you know that idea of being grateful now um you know obviously have goals and have dreams for the future but be grateful for the position that you've been put in, especially if you've gotten an internship or an apprenticeship or an assistant job, because those are hard to get. Like those are impossible to get an intern in the entertainment in the entertainment industry unless you know someone personally, have a connection with somebody or something like that. So if you got that, you got through the door, got through the interviews, and you got this job, be grateful that you got this because there's sixty thousand other people out there that would love to have that job. That is so true. And and also to know that, to realize that you're not stuck, which is, I think, something we all go through, especially when we're younger. Oh, I'm in this situation. I'm not happy. I, I don't know if, I don't know why, but I'm feeling like this isn't for me. There are other opportunities out there. Yeah. You don't have to. This doesn't it. have to be your path. It, you can always change the course of the river. Um, I was feeling so stuck in my acting and what I was doing, and it didn't feel authentic and it felt forced. And so I had a moment of clarity and I I went to a free acting class at a studio and I was creatively challenged and I was pushed. And it was this moment of like, I've settled too much into what I thought was quote unquote acting. 
I need to get back in the classroom. I need to fall back in love with this thing. And, and so like all of 2017 was me facing that and owning it at the same time and being like, okay, I'm not on set, but I'm in class. I'm acting every single day. The amount of conversations you and I, Daniel had about like talking about the stuff that I was learning or getting challenged by. Like there was one point where I felt my back against the wall because I was so scared in the best way possible because finally I was getting to do what I came to LA to do. Yes. Yes. And and I think, you know, you guys can kind of share this also tips of like, you know, if you, if those listening who are right now in that internship or that apprenticeship, any ideas of like how they can make the best of it? Like what can they do to take the fullest advantage? And, And the first thing I'll say is raise your hand. If they say we need someone to do this, raise your hand. If they say, does anybody know this? Raise your hand and go learn it. Yes. <laughs> like, like do whatever. Who knows how to ride a horse? Yeah. If you, yeah. Sure. If you hear a term or a system or something said in a room because you're sitting there taking notes, write the note down for yourself. Go find out what that system is and learn it. Like take advantage of everything you hear and every request made because one, people will love you because you're always jumping in to do stuff and maybe stuff you don't want to do. You may have to drive across town to a laundromat to pick up somebody's suit for an award ceremony, but be grateful that you get that opportunity because that, that just shows your perseverance and your willingness. You know, there's a, I've mentioned it several times. There's a great podcast called children of Tandu uh, where it's two very popular, well-known TV writers discussing TV writing. And one of the things, a story this guy tells is how they had an intern or an assistant who he asked to go get coffee for everyone. And the guy was like, no, just straight up said no to him. And he's like, okay. He's like, I didn't get mad. I was like, all right, I'll just ask somebody else. Thank you. And he went and asked somebody else Then went to that person's supervisor and said, let him go. He's like, he's like, yes, it's getting coffee and it stinks, but it says so much more about you and your willingness to be a part of a team and work with everyone. And, you know, who knows if you would have brought me that coffee, I may have invited him into the next meeting. Yeah. And, you know, you never know what's going to happen. So that would be my big suggestion. Just say yes and raise your hand to anything. Yeah. I mean, uh, legal. Yeah. Legal. Like there, <laughs> the, of course, there are boundaries. Um, coffee is a bit of a rite of passage. <laughs> By the way, Michael, I'm going to need you to go get his coffee. Okay, guys. I'll be right back. <laughs> and we just sit here in silence. Uh, <laughs> almond milk, soy milk. Any preference, guys? I would like an organic chai tea latte. Hold the latte. <laughs> oh, 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 sorry. I, th- I thought you were about I to you were gonna speak. Get, yeah, I thought you had something else. Oh, I'm thinking about tea. <laughs> yes, coffee. Yes. That sounds oh, that great. so perfect. Um, well, no, I'm thinking about coffee. <laughs> I mean, I would also, I, I completely agree with you, Daniel. And I would just say to add to that, build relationships. Like, with your fellow interns. And, you know, because those are going to be the people that are working, whether it's in the casting offices or other actors who are working on set or, you know, up and coming filmmakers and stuff like this is such a valuable experience for you to build relationships, not only with these professionals who are taking time out of their day to teach you about this stuff, but to really get to know the crew around you Yes, yes. because maybe that's your future production company one day, hopefully. One of them um, could be your future boss. Yeah. You will absolutely work with them again if they stay in this industry. Yeah. And 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 as as many of our guests have said on this podcast, this is a relationships business. And so if you can build positive relationships with people who might, I'm an actor, but you know, a lighting designer might be in the room. If I can, you know, build a relationship with that person and 
find out what it is that they do. They might know people involved in theater companies around Los Angeles or sets and stuff like that. You just never know how they may be able to help you or, but also how can you help them? Well, mm-hmm. I'm gonna, and I'm just going to add to that, build an honest relationship. Mm-hmm. Don't just build a relationship of, I hope they can give me something like, you know, something I've read recently in a book. It's like build an honest friendship. Don't look at it as a friendship, not you can do this for me because people can sense that they can feel that. And you want to make sure it's because then you're just going to get more out of it that way in the long run. If you try to build honest friendships out with people, yeah, a hundred percent. Absolutely. And you know, something you said just a minute ago reminded me, uh, Josh Otter, who obviously mm-hmm. you're good friends with. Um, one of the things he said in his episodes a while back that really resonated I know, with both me and Michael was, Always ask the people that are, you know, assistants and interns, the people you're working with side by side, what do they really want to do? Yep. And I thought that was such a cool thing that he said. I never, like, probably thought about it in a smaller subconscious way, but just putting it out there, like, ask them, like, what are, obviously you don't want to be an assistant all your life. Yeah, you don't want to be a PA running around on set. What are you working towards? Casting? Are you working towards acting, you know, directing? Like, what are you doing? And then you can just keep a book of, like, these people that want to get that experience. And so they're more willing to do stuff for free to get that experience as long as, you know, you really respect them for doing that. Yeah. And, and I, you kind of alluded this earlier, Daniel, but I think also just ask. It is so important to know how to ask, whether it's a, a technical thing, like you, there's a term that you don't understand, or it's, you know, hey, I, I don't have any experience in this field. How, like after this internship, what should I do? People want to help. Mm-hmm. Most most people I've encountered, of course, there are exceptions, but most people are interested in in your success. Yeah, I mean it's it's community, and let's make this community. You know, let's let's see it thrive. Absolutely, how I, can I, we I, contribute? I think that's so important because so often, especially as an actor, um, I'm in this position where I have to be in the right place at the right time, and there's so many other factors that go into whether or not. I'm called into the room and everything, but it's just so important to like, if, you know, if I didn't know Daniel or if I, or if I knew of you, it's like, Hey, what, how's your podcast going? You know, what's, what, what other things are you doing? Are you, it's are great, you but I have this script? guy that I'm working with is just not pulling his weight. I really? <laughs> wish. I mean, he's getting this coffee right now so I can talk a little more freely about it, but man. Well, can I get you that coffee? <laughs> he raising the hand. Yes. But I think it's just so important to just know and be comfortable asking and being comfortable knowing or, or coming from a place of, I don't know. Uh, because it's so easy, especially in Los Angeles, to meet a lot of people who, who think that they know uh, the, the ins and outs of the industry or like, oh, I have all these relationships and I can clue you in to, to these people. But when push comes to shove and you ask to meet with those people and those relationships aren't there. You'll, you'll learn real fast who those people are, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but there are so many, there are so many passionate artists in this town that just want to do great work and they want to be around like-minded people. And I think, yeah, being, having that honest relationship, um, 
that's when the snowball starts to to roll really quickly mm-hmm. and and opportunities come up behind the red rope we recorded act one with you a few a few months ago um just time wise and schedule wise it was just better to separate it and you discussed a documentary you were working on at the time um uh, then with josh otter who has stepped away to work with some other stuff uh we know of but you sent us a sizzle reel this morning of that documentary and I know we talked again a little bit more about it in Act One, but after seeing the sizzle reel, I definitely want to talk more about it now, especially having a little more knowledge about it and seeing some of the footage. Um, it's called Feeling Seen, and it seems, uh, it, please correct me if I'm wrong, it is based on the idea of the media representation of the LGBTQ community uh, in film and television and, and, and other places. And it's a lot of conversations with, with people about how they felt growing up not seeing themselves represented um can you kind of go through just the the for you how what it was like interviewing these people and hearing their stories um that i'm sure were very similar to some of your uh the stuff you've experienced and just what you emotionally took away from that experience oh yes i mean it's been all emotion (laughs) (laughs) um and i'm yes you described it really well um although we're really um, focusing on television. Okay. Otherwise, it gets too big. <laughs> <laughs> then it's an ongoing conversation. <laughs> yes, then it's a, a 16-part miniseries. If someone would like to, to buy it and produce it, I'd be more than happy to uh, expand Some, this Somebody project. called Ken Burns. <laughs> oh, I have all the ideas. <laughs> um, it's been an incredibly validating process. This is, this is something that has been in my heart and mind for the last four or five years, and it's finally I'm finally at a place where I can start making the thing I've been wanting to see. I, I've been wait, waiting for someone to make this film, and no one has, so I'm going to do it. And um, what has it been like interviewing people? We did we did a, a exploratory interviews about a year and a half ago, which was a very like again validating. Okay, we have something here. Um, growing up without images reflected back. Um, of who I am as, as a lesbian woman, it was very isolating. So I kind of felt like I was the only one going through the emotional um, stress that I was going through. And then as I, you know, grew up, I started to think, I, you know, I bet other people felt similarly about television and about themselves and, and moved through the world in a similar way. I can't be the only one. And so I started to investigate that and finding these similarities. Um, and it's been this this project is very much about community, going from isolation to community, um, and it's <laughs> it's been incredible so far, and it is just the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> ba, ba, ba. Well, and, and so that's yeah, that's the interesting part. So you're one of our, I think, our first uh, documentary uh, filmmaker, documentarian, a documentarian. Yes, I believe that's the right term. <laughs> um, so where are you in the process right now? So we watched this sizzle a reel yeah, about nine minutes, thirty seven seconds long. Short well, little one, <laughs> but and and so uh, what? What is this sizzle reel for? So uh, you haven't filmed the whole movie yet, right? Okay. Uh, we did. We were able to do one weekend of of proper interview shooting over two days in December, uh, where we hired uh, you know a proper crew, and you know uh, my friends offered their home, which was just amazing, and we we interviewed ten people in in two days. Um, and that was specifically to launch us, to get us off the ground. Um, and what this sizzle has become is, is a pitch video. It's gotten me, um, 
producers and uh, more people to interviews, a very exciting, talented people who have agreed to come on board. Um, it's generated a lot of excitement from, from the, from, from my LGBTQ community and beyond, like talking to you guys who, who feel like you can relate to it. Um, and it, it got me, uh, a, a consulting editor for the feature. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which That's is, huge. I'm, I'm really excited about. Um, and now we're going next, next weekend, my producers and I are going to Selexicon, which is the largest LGBTQ women and allies multi-fan <laughs> convention. I never, <laughs> I never heard of it. I didn't know there was such a thing. Um, and we're going to, we're going to take some footage there. I'm going to be on a panel as well. Nice. And, and um, Congratulations. thank you. Thank you. Um, but then we'll, we'll hire someone to help us make a proper like two minute sizzle and then we'll launch a huge crowdfunding campaign and because we have to raise a lot of money. And, and now the sizzle reel, um, for those wondering, is very much actually kind of set a presentational reel. The, there's intersplicing in, in your reels currently of the, the interviews with you kind of discussing the project um, to camera. And, you know, I'll tell you this, like I said, it's about, it's about nine minutes and a few seconds. And literally by the end of those, I mean, I, it was hard to see. Like just the, the, there's so much of that coming out right now. The representation of other facets of society in film and how important that is to those people, um, you know, looking at, you know, Black Panther, Wrinkle in Time, all those things where these different cultures and these different people have been ignored as leading people, you know, and, and as the, the people to be role models for those people going through that. And so the impact of that is incredible. And so, you know, hearing them talk about, I mean, Michael and I, I both shared this in text about how like one of the most impactful parts was when I believe it's Josh uh, tells one of the interviewees that someone else had the same feeling growing up about the only time they felt they could love a woman was if they were in prison and just her reaction hearing that somebody else felt that like that, both, you know, and, both and, of us it, had it, a huge that reaction to that. Validation that you can, you and I, or, you know, we can have these same experiences, these same feelings, these same fears. And that, and, and I think that's, what's so brave and amazing of what you're doing, what you're doing with this film is, combining like hearing these people's experiences but also seeing how similar they all are and it makes me just think of um you know i come from a my hometown is vacaville california it's right next to an air force base a much more conservative area but oftentimes i remember hearing people say like a movie would come out that has a very like diverse cast and it's oh that looks like such a hollywood film (laughs) and the next question is what do you mean by that like there was the uh, the, the Kenneth Branagh's um, Murder on the Orient Express, and the, it's a very diverse cast compared to the original uh, versions of that of those films. And I, you know, someone I know like said that comment. It's like, well, what do you mean? Do you mean that there's actual representation that there there are these unique characters, and they're at the end of the day they're playing these characters. What what does that do? What what are you trying to say when you say that looks so Hollywood. And I and I just think it's so important though that voices like yours, Beth, and, and, and the people that you're interviewing, they need to be included. Yeah, it's time. I mean, it's for, for a long time there really was this issue of safety. And and it's still that's still very, very important. Mm-hmm. Um the world has changed a lot in the last 20 years, obviously. Um, and we do have wider representation in media, and, and that and I really think that has changed 
um, the, the larger national conversation. But for a lot of people, it's still not safe to be open about who they are. And when you don't have images of yourself reflected back to you, when you're not represented or you're misrepresented on television, that it, it unconsciously tells you that your story isn't important, that you, no one's interested. And so like, so for, for instance, um, I, when, when putting my interviews together, I was like, okay, so who, who am I going to interview? And there was a, a comedian who um, looks a lot like me, like I'm kind of a, you know, more androgynous, maybe butch presenting woman. Um, and so excited to interview her. And I kind of consider her my spirit animal. And then there was, there was another comedian also kind of similar. And I was like, well, you know, I've already got one butch Jewish lesbian. I don't, I don't need more. <laughs> you know, there's only room for one, right? Because that's what I've internalized my whole life is that I'm not desirable. I'm not interesting. Um, I should be ashamed of who I am and, and, you know, try not to try not to be out there, try not to be too visible. Um, and even though we, I, I've moved beyond that, it's still there. I mean, clearly I, I made this, I may, I made this, I had this realization then saw very clearly that I was censoring myself and I was like, wow. And so of course I didn't do that. We're all in it. <laughs> why can't, why can't there be like the majority of people who do look like me? Why can't we be the majority, right. you know? So, uh, well, uh, one of your interviewees, uh, she shares, um, you know, she can't ever imagine being on set of Orange is the New Black because she's very, uh, physically very similar to one of the actresses on that show. And it's that same moment of, wait, why am I saying that that can't happen? We're not the same person. We, you know, we could be on screen together and be completely different people, but we also relate to one another. And it was, it's that moment of, I, and I think you just said it so well is don't edit yourself. Well, it, yeah. I mean, that shows that, you know, that then I have a, a you know, a, a limited value for myself. I'm already assuming that I'm not going to be desirable or, or interesting or, and it, and so I, my hope is that we move beyond tokenizing and we're starting to, and I see this, I see this all the time in, in, in casting and in this industry. Okay. We've got our one black character in this scene, so we don't need another one. Maybe we should also have like, you know, an Asian or it's just, it's so frustrating because that's not how, that's not our world. And when you don't have examples of people who are like you, you don't know what's possible for you. Well, you know, I, I think about kind of, and it's mentioned in your, your sister role talking about, you know, Ellen and, her episode, I know, I, I remember seeing a clip recently of, I guess she had an episode that was kind of dedicated to that, like, anniversary of that episode where she came out on her show. And, you know, the people that were there that, you know, thanked her for putting that out there and what that meant to them is just heartbreaking that it took so long even then. And even then, after that, it's still been a void that's also been there. You have Xena, which, again, is set in kind of a more fantastical world, but who had this uh, this relationship with a woman, and a lesbian relationship, and, and can be that person, that superhero that's also gay and that has that relationship. And I think as we've grown, it's, you know, people, somebody, again, I'm using your scissor because there was so, many, so much great information in there, but someone talking about how, like, you know, to kind of appease that, gener that group, they talk about, you know, have someone who's bi. And so, okay, that's going to appease them because we have someone who's bi, who's both, but also guys can fantasize about them and, and think about themselves being with two women and all this stuff. And it's just kind of like this frustrating of like dipping your toe, but not jumping in. Yeah. And I, I do also remember back in the day when this whole push for 
um, Burton Ernie to be gay mm-hmm. and on Sesame Street. And it's kind of like thinking back now is like, was that a reaction to not being represented? Like, just give us this. You know what I mean? There's a long history of 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 a queer reading of things that are not meant to be queer, because if, if there isn't something for you, you're going to find it wherever you can. So, I mean, growing up, you know, people of my generation and and a little bit older, like we'll talk about Joe from Facts of Life. There's a lot of women who will talk about um, Cagney and Lacey and queering something that was never intended to be for you because nothing out there is. Or if it is, it's really depressing and tragic. Um, the it has changed a lot. I mean, you mentioned Ellen and and one of the, I mean, she, that was a watershed moment, of course. And one of the things that I learned from that was you have to be who you are, but also be prepared for the consequences because she, she was tortured for years after that. And I, and I mean, seeing the fear in her eyes and the, and, and everything she went through is something that I absolutely felt. I mean, I, I cannot thank her enough for what she did, but I also, completely understand the cost but you know it cost benefit if you're if you're at least in my life i understand why there are people who are closeted and and you know i can't i can't judge that because we all have our reasons and a lot of it has to do with safety um but i can't i can't live in hiding i can't live a lie um and she showed me you know that you have to go through a lot of pain sometimes, but the benefit is, is so rewarding. And, and because of her, because she's now like the darling of America, it is, it is a little easier for people. Um, making things palatable for a wider audience that has to do with who the people in charge think their audience wants. And that has always been dictated by straight white men of power, right? So what they find attractive, the stories they want to see and, we have over time started to have more diverse storytelling, but it's often still told from the perspective of that straight white guy, which, you know, well-intentioned though it may be can sometimes, or no, almost always perpetuate stereotypes because it's coming from a particular point of view. And that's not to say that you have to, um, you can only tell your own story, but if it's not your story to tell based on you know your experience, then surround yourself with people who can inform you and you can write this together. And that's when you have responsible, inclusive storytelling. I, I think that's key is that you're, the intention of like, I want to write these characters and make sure that there's diversity included within the project, while in, well-intentioned, you should be really bringing in someone from that community yeah. to be a part of it. Because again, then it's just me, white guy, putting in on paper what I think that culture is rather than actually coming from the experience about it. And also bringing in more diverse voices into the creation process is so key, I think, as well. And that's why we're seeing a lot of, um, we're seeing a lot more queer characters, particularly bisexual women on television. And there's this idea that that is progressive, but it's, it's actually replaying a lot of old damaging tropes, mm-hmm. but I could get real specific. Yeah. I don't know if I should right now, <laughs> but, um. but I, I get what, I get what you're saying. It, yeah. it is. And that it, it, it frustrates me to a point because watching it where it's just like, why, why can't it, why can't they be gay? Why, why does it have to be bi? They like both women. And it seems almost as like, loose party thing 
and more of like a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And and also it, it shows you how far we've come. Like if we started queering stories that were that were not originally meant to be queer, like reading into you know Cagney and Lacey and, and Facts of Life and all of that. Um, then we went to just taking what we could get. So like when I was growing up in the nineties, I did I was afraid of being a lesbian because the lesbians that I saw on television were either like the butts of jokes or they were very tragic. So like Ross's ex-wife on friends, like, Oh cool. There's going to be a lesbian on friends. And I never liked friends because I couldn't ever relate to it. And people thought I was insane. Like, why don't you like friends? I'm like, I just, I just don't relate to them. But now here's, here's this woman. And, and every time there was a lesbian on television, when I was growing up, I would greet it with like equal parts, excitement and dread. Like, oh, what are they going to tell me now? Yeah, like what, what's going to be the butt of the joke? Right. Or how is this going to devastate these lives, these main characters' lives somehow? Some unattractive, man-hating, you know, woman. So, you know, George Costanza's uh, ex-fiance who died, you know, like they didn't like her. So they, they made her a lesbian and, and that emasculated George. Isn't that funny? Um, and then you had really great storytelling in ER. Um, Laura Innes's character, who was this doctor who was so, so horribly um, afraid of being out that because she would lose her job. And now those stories are important to tell because they're true and they happen and it was beautiful storytelling. But when that's all there is, um, when you are underrepresented and all you have are these butts of jokes and um, scary scenarios, it's very damaging and very isolating so we went from taking what we could get. All right, I'll watch, I'll watch, I'll watch Ross's ex-wife and be kind of excited about her at the same time feeling a lot of shame and self-hatred. You know, oh, she's wearing flannel. I like flannel, but everybody's laughing at her. What does that say about me? We're not taking what we can get anymore. You know, it's the time is and, and this and this can be. Um, related to anyone who's on the margins of society. You know, the, the black person who's the first person to get killed off in an action show. Like what it, you know, that's in my, my, I do not have a direct experience with that story. It's, I don't feel like I'm the one being shot as a black person in that action film. Um, but other, other audience members do. And like every time a, a lesbian or a bisexual woman is killed on television, just, you know, as a, as a plot point, I take that personally because it's my experience. So we can all, we can all relate to being misunderstood. I think, like you said, the, the evolution of the, the presentation of that has changed where, you know, look back at like Glee where you have Kurt's character who is happily openly gay and you see him have friends and be happy, but deal with the bullying and things like that. And then seeing this railing of him coming out to his dad who already knew who was just waiting for him to say it. And, you know, having that where it wasn't this, the dad doesn't want to talk to him anymore and leaves, but actually like tries to understand him and actually like works to get better and show that it does, it's not easy. It's not like, oh, I get it now. And we're all happy. Like there's certain episodes where they still have conflict with each other because he's still trying to understand. But that's the main point. He's trying to understand. It's so and, important. You know, yeah. And I think, and I remember those, I, I, those are, I think some of the more respected episodes from Glee and that, those te- episodes. and that teaches people outside of the community also how to be allies, mm-hmm. you know, because before you had these, these shows, these wider opportunities for representation, people outside, it's not just 
me learning my value in society through what what society thinks of me right. through its media it's also informing people who about who they should think i am you know mm-hmm. and i i think that's so important that we can have these conversations now because there's a starting point we can talk about a television show there's so many there's so many families now um who i mean with shows like the fosters and oranges and new black and one day at a time and now black, you know black lightning like if those shows had been on when I was a kid, my mom and I could have, and my dad, we could have talked through these television shows, mm-hmm. which is what happens now with families sitting down and watching these. Well, speaking of that, you know, um, I don't know if you watch Supergirl. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, the uh, the sister mm-hmm. on Supergirl, um, she in the first season slowly comes out as lesbian and starts a relationship and and all this stuff. And I remember seeing on Twitter. Uh, one of the writers or the showrunner from Supergirl, I can't remember who exactly it was, or producer, somebody tweeted to them, like, love Supergirl, love the show, love how she's an inspiration, but how do I talk to my daughter about this relationship? And it was, it wasn't, it didn't come from, it felt like it didn't come from a place of hate, it just came from a place of ignorance. And I say that lightly, not like to call her an idiot, but just this like, I don't know how to explain this to my daughter who's never seen a woman-on-woman relationship. And the guy's response was so simple. And so it's like, tell her about love. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like what it, what I, and it was just like, I don't know what you mean to tell it. Like, why is that hard? Like, just tell her that love is love and that anybody can love whoever they want. This is the power of television because it starts conversations. When I was growing up and all, all we had were those negative um, representations. The reason I was so attracted to Xena is because they weren't labeled lesbians. Because at the time, the only definition of lesbian was something that I knew I did not want to be. Right. Because that would mean a life of isolation and ostracization or whatever. And shame, you know, disappointing my family and whatnot. But what Xena did, because it was the 90s and you couldn't be overt, is it, 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 it was able to tell a story to women like me through subtext. So I could watch that show with my parents. And unlike now where parents can watch something together with their kids and have a conversation at the time we would watch the same show, but it was if I watched one show and they watched another and what that show offered people, because it came on at the time when the internet was becoming readily available in people's homes is it gave people the opportunity to watch that show from the closet in community. So they weren't alone and people didn't have to know about, you know, the truth about them when, if it wasn't safe or they weren't comfortable being out, but they could have an entire online community that they would meet yearly at conventions now at at retreats. And for 20 years, there've been, um, there's been like a core group of people around the world that get together and they have this 20 year old, you know, friendship. Some people met their partners through this show. And it's amazing now that it doesn't have to be so covert it can be it's it's so incredible and i think i think the hope for me is that one day it's not a special event when there's a character who's gay or a family that's you know has two husbands you know two guys or two women and they have a kid it's not this like oh bravo you're you're a hero to this it's just is it's just entertainment it's just art it's just normal yeah and having you know a a, a latino lead who's not a gangster or a gang member yep you know having a, a black lead that's not it's not weird that they're black and you know just stuff like that i think is important that we get to a point of normalcy where it's not oh this movie had this coming of age of 
movie of of feeling finding out who you are bravo that that that's special it's different and it's like why can't when does it become normal right and 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 why should we care right why should we care if there's if if it becomes normal on television and the reason we should care for things to become quote unquote not normal but common on television is because then it, it goes back to safety if you see like a butch presenting um, woman or a non-binary gender queer person and and their partner and you and, and it's obvious that they're queer that's no longer a safety issue like i was just talking to friends this week about being attacked in the new york city subway recently you know and it's and i really feel like the more visibility there is the 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 more um safe people will will be because these kinds of incidents are not acceptable. Right. Well, you know, something, um, there's a, one of the things, my kid, we're doing some bedtime transitioning for him. And so right now he, he lays down with us in the living room and falls asleep and we put on some boring show that he doesn't get excited by at all. And so we usually put on like law and order or something like that. And one of the episodes recently was, um, uh, not to go kind of to the being the victim, but a uh, transgender youth is attacked by a group of kids and, you know, they all say like the one of the kids is a really good kid and he didn't he didn't mean it, he just didn't understand. And that was the reason like he never met a transgender person before. He didn't understand. He didn't know how to deal with that as a as a youth and and process that. And the only way he could do it was trying to look tough to his friends and reacting. And that really kind of hit me with this like that because you mentioned exposure. And it's like you being exposed to this as normal. And the same thing with that tweet. Like, how do I talk to my, my daughter about this relationship? It's a relationship. Like there's nothing different about it you know, other than the, other than two of the same sex. That's it. And that's, that's not a, that's not crazy. Yeah. We don't all live in. So, oh, sorry. Oh, no. Um, I, well, I was about to say uh, I've, so I've been going back and watching some older shows. I never used to watch amazing race and it's my girlfriend's one of her favorite, like guilty pleasure shows. So Amazon has all 30 seasons. And so good Lord, I just got overwhelmed by you saying yeah. 30 seasons. And, and so we went back and watched season one. <laughs> we went back and watched season, which 25. is an interesting because reality television is so it's completely different mm-hmm. world. Right. But this came out in 2000, uh, 2001, right before September 11th. And it's so interesting to see what we were as a country. What were the conversations that were happening? And in that season, you have two men, who are in a committed relationship. And I remember that. And their, and their label is uh, life partners. Yep. And watching that show, it was so interesting to see how the show captured these two in a relationship. They're, you know, always supportive of one another. They're playing the game. And, but you have all of the surrounding teams always trashing them. Oh, they're always conniving. They're always doing this. Like somehow the show made this couple into the bad guy, into the antagonist that, the show apparently needed and that they were the ones plotting to undo all these other teams and stuff. And it was just, it got me heated because it was just like, how, how is this the message that was being pushed in 2001? And I think about like, I was 11 years old when this show came out and I can't imagine like someone and, and who's gay or, or queer and watching that show and feeling like, does that mean I'm the bad guy? Oh yeah. You know, and, 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 and it was just, it was just so shocking to see that. But then to, you know, uh, one of my favorite shows that I've been watching 
is Shameless. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, in that show, you know, one of the brothers is gay. And what I love are the scenes between him, uh, Ian, and Lip. Two brothers just sitting and, you know, Ian might be heartbroken from a relationship and so is Lip. And, and you know, from a girlfriend or something like that. And they're able to just talk and they know that they're talking about the same thing, about love and being heartbroken. And they're just there for each other. And it's just so shocking, of course, to see how far we've come, but obviously still how much more we need to go. Absolutely. And you reminded me, actually, when I was doing exploratory interviews like a year and a half ago, I interviewed this just wonderful professor. Um, she's an anthropologist, Rudy Telmore. And she was talking about the fact that there are two forms of um, invisibility. There's a powerful form of invisibility and and an unpowerful form of invisibility. And the powerful form of of invisibility is when you you are able to, to, you're not representative of a group. You can just be, you're you're invisible in terms of um, like, there's this, she used this example of, you know, a white guy who, who, there's this white guy who, who was, uh, uh, he was skateboarding. Now, he's not representative of, of white men, right? We know who he is, like he's this tall white guy with a hat on backward and he's skateboarding. Um, and so he is invisible in a powerful way because his, his individuality is what described him. Right. Whereas if you are not powerful in an, in an invisible way, it's because your, in, your individuality is um, secondary to the larger group that you're representing. Um, you know, the lesbian is that, that lesbian person who's cooking food, then you're representing a group. You don't get to live in your own authentic individuality. And, you know, hear all the time, like, you know, oh, the, the, the Mexican guy was coming over here. So the guy who was coming over here, like, why do we need to describe his, his, um, his, his ethnicity? Exactly. Like, and that happens by default all the time. Um, and it's because they're in, they're invisible in an unpowerful way instead of just the guy. Well, I think, you know, this kind of something I was thinking, I don't know if you've seen the new movie, Love, Simon. Yeah. That's come out yeah. and, and this idea um, by Greg Berlanti. Um, one of the, I found the interesting, uh, marketing parts of it. Um, and I don't know how this is portrayed in the movie itself, but is that why don't, uh, you know, not, you know, why don't heterosexual, you know, straight people have to come out? Mm-hmm. Why is it that gay, you know, gay people and, and people of, uh, of the homosexual, why do, why are they the ones that have to come out? Why shouldn't we have to come out as gay or as straight? And this idea of like that normalcy of you don't just go, you're straight until you tell me otherwise. It's you are who you are until I know who you are. <laughs> you know, it's like you have to be like, oh, no, I'm straight. Oh, OK, cool. Like it, it and it's it, and I found that as a marketing thing. I thought that was really interesting um, to a, a way to approach it. And it seems like an, an, a very important film for a lot of people to watch. I know like um, uh, I'm not going to say his name right, but uh, he's on The Flash. I, I think it's like Kalan Linsdale. I, I'm going to say his name wrong, but he plays Wally West on The Flash. He's in that movie. And his experience on that movie, um, so not pushed him, but inspired him to come out by being in that movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I watched a, a React channel that got to go see a screening of Love, Simon, and several of the members of, of the, the cast um, are, are homosexual and gay and, and bi and all this other stuff. And hearing their reaction to it and how kind of the same thing you said, like, they wish this movie had been made 
20 years ago. And they kind of talk about a lot of the same things that you, you, your uh, interviewees talk about, about how they felt represented. And, you know, because there's a mix of older and, and younger uh, represented in there. And it was so fascinating to just see their experience with it. And just the idea is like, there needs to be more stuff like this where it, it inspires you to be you. Yeah. And, and that all has to do with um, education and, and exposure, because right now there's this, there's this idea that there's only one way to be. And, you know, the, the younger generation is so, I find it so encouraging because they, they're saying, no, oh, there's so many different ways to be. And there's not a right way and a wrong way. I can, I can, you know, the way I, they, they might say the way I, define my gender identity does not fit in the boxes that our society gives us. The way I, I express myself sexually does not, is not defined in like these three boxes of gay, straight, and bisexual. It's more than that. It's beyond that. So let's erase all these lines. And that only when these lines are erased and people are able to express themselves in their, in their, as their th- true authentic selves, are we able to say, answer the question of why do why don't heterosexual people have to come out well they don't have to come out because that's the only way possible yeah. and like you were talking about your that's your child normal. that's the normal yeah. right your i mean children's literature is a, there's a huge problem with representation in children's literature you know and it, uh, reminds me of uh jk rowling when she revealed that professor dumbledore was gay and there's such a huge backlash and everyone was like oh that completely changes my perspective whenever he's sitting down with harry and why yeah what what and and, and it's like by now knowing that he's gay for me it doesn't really change the amazing things that he's done but it gives him also further depth and stuff and and but it's like why does that need to be a thing to freak out but now there's controversy on the other side with the new movie coming out with them watering down his homosexuality and not putting well, it, it never... in, 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 in a, in a, in a more spotlight position. Right. Look, Dumbledore is Dumbledore. Dumbledore, Dumbledore is my favorite character in Harry Potter because when they said, I was, I was at, good morning, professor Dumbledore. How are you? And he said, blooming. Thank you. I thought that was the coolest answer ever. Dumbledore has always been Dumbledore and that right. Dumbledore is gay is amazing for the reasons you mentioned, Michael, but it also shows you the reason why it was an issue is because of the stereotype that gay people must be pedophiles. Yes. You know, exactly. like, like it, he can be a professor. He can be, work with kids and, and, it's a and 70s, have 80s thought but, process. But Dumbledore now should not, should not be something he's not. Yeah. He shouldn't be like a watered down version of what, you know, he, he was always him. If it shouldn't he, be gay Dumbledore. It should just be well, he Dumbledore. Is gay, but, Dumbledore. But, 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 you know, but you know what I mean? Like it should, yeah. that shouldn't be like the stand, like you said, no, the standout thing for him. Mean, yeah. It should be, don't, don't go, well, let's be careful about putting that too much in there. Right. But like, let him be who he is. Yeah. Like just let him be a, the, a, a, as, as he always was in the books. Well, what yeah. is gay? What does it mean to be gay Dumbledore? Only everything you've read from the yeah. past seven books. Yeah. That's what it means. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's not. Yeah. So, so uh, just kind of to wrap up those books. So, <laughs> me too. So, so kind of wrap this up, like just kind of going around in, in uh, especially Beth, you know, what is, Something, you know, if there's someone out there listening now that felt the same way as you do, that lack of representation and not seeing themselves on TV um, and not having the not seeing that that inspiration to be who they are. Is there something that, you know, if they're listening that you want to say to them now to, you know, support that or support them in the best way possible? If I can throw that out there. 
I mean, it's it's funny because like the work that Dan Savage did with the It Gets Better campaign is so important um, because it's true. It gets better. Um, and I think the same thing can be said of You're Not Alone. Um, one of the reasons why my documentary is interested in exploring television, specific characters, specific actors and showrunners who who work on uh, LGBTQ content and the and the fans is because when you feel misunderstood or isolated, when society tells you you're not okay, and there's a character on television who is like you, like, you know, lean on the Fosters or Steph on the Fosters, for instance, then they, watching them on television tells you as a viewer, I see you, you're okay. You're going to be okay. There is a future for you. The rest of the world may not get you, but I got you. And I think that's why a lot of times viewers feel so like feel like this is such a personal experience and they take the actors so personally because they make them feel visible. And um, so I would just say that this is a very exciting time. Um, I'm starting to get emotional. (laughs) It's an exciting time because there's more content out there. Um, there's there are entire communities of people online that are just like you and yeah it's it's gonna be okay (laughs) and make the thing you want to see be an artist make the thing you want to see yeah wow that you just took the words out of my mouth I, i was just gonna say make make stories that you feel included on um and I completely agree with all the things that you say. And I would also just say like, you know, I, for the listeners out there that are going through this, you know, I love you. I support you. Um, You know, there's, there's a tribe out there for you. There's your community out there for you and reach out and, and find them. You know, these, these online uh, communities that Beth's talking about, but even in your own personal relationships with with your friends, find your tribe. I think because it is it's so easy to feel outside and you can't express yourself. And I think it's important that you do eventually at a time that you feel that's safe for you to do so. But yeah, just reach out to us. Reach and you know reach out to your community, and it'll be okay. Yeah. And and again, make stories that include you. Yeah, you matter and your story matters. Mm-hmm. So tell it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. However you need to. I um it's 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 interesting. Um somebody asked me right after we had Nolan, uh, my 3-year-old, what I, what I would do if he came out. And my only thought was I, tell him not to hit me. Like, I mean, what, what's going to change? He's all, he is who he's always been and who he's going to be. And that changes nothing about him and me and my relationship. He's still the kid that gives me hugs and then punches me. He's still the kid that tells, tells me, daddy, I want to go search for food. Like there's no change. And reading stories of kids who are struggling um, after they come out, you know, first of all, the bravery of just coming out and it's, it's sad that it has to be brave to come out. Um, but anybody out there who is struggling and, and, you know, feeling that weight, I, I definitely want to 
agree with Michael, you know, find your tribe, you know, find the people that support you that will be there for you. And there are examples of there is better and there are better anger and hate comes from ignorance. Um, no one's anger. No angry is not a thing. It's an addition and it's addition to ignorance in addition to pain, to jealousy, to depression. And anybody that's angry for at you there, that is their problem, not yours. It's not your problem. They have issues they need to deal with. And maybe one day they'll, fi- they'll figure it out, but you can only be you. You can only be the person you were born to be. And love and support yourself in that and make great work, go out there, make stuff, do stuff, support stuff, be, be active, you know, just delve yourself in that, that makes you feel good. And, you know, just, just be you. That's, that's all you can be in this world and having to be someone else sucks. I've been there. I know other people have, and it's, it's the worst feeling in the world. So find that love for you as best as you can. It, that's that's so beautiful. And if I could just tell you um, one thing that gave me a lot of, of hope and encouragement is when my wife and I got married, we got married in 2008 during that window, that Prop 8 window. <laughs> and and um, uh, family friends came in with their three kids and I, I babysat these kids um, for a long time. And one of them, I think, oh gosh, I don't remember how old he was, maybe eight. And um, he gave a toast at our wedding, which was really adorable because kids at weddings are the best thing. Oh, absolutely. Right? But, Especially on the dance floor. <laughs> but I'll never forget because um, I saw him say at one point to his mom, I didn't know girls could get married. <laughs> what? And his mom just said, yeah, they can. And then he he thought about it for a second and said, okay. That was it. Yeah. 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 That's it. You know, it's, you know. They can get married just like you can get married to a woman or anything. It, it, they can just get married. Well, I mean, it's, it's that idea that like hate and, and, and prejudice, you're not born with it. Yeah. Kids, kids love everyone mm-hmm. for the most part, <laughs> you know, love is love is love. And that's like the, uh, the innocent of a kid kids absorb things. So if you're listening and you have a kid, be careful what you say around them. Let be open to exploring different lives and, you know, revealing that stuff to them. Don't hide them or shelter them from what's out there in the world because that's what helps them understand. Yeah. And I, and I think just around this discussion that we've been having, I think it's so clear how, while society can take a long time that eventually love and understanding went out Yeah, over ignorance because people become educated because they see stories that they, that finally gives them a window of understanding and I think just know, and, and and for me, it gives me comfort to know and, you know, thinking about Nolan and stuff is that I don't know when, but eventually that day will come where this is not a quote unquote issue. Right, right. This will just be. Yeah. It will be, you know, thinking of, you know, your friend's kid of just like, oh, okay. We'll all be powerfully invisible. <laughs> there you go. Um, so just to round out, uh, to kind of come off on, on, on something, um, we obviously the, the idea of casting and, and putting people together um, to work together. Um, if we can go around, just name like a cast that you thought was just perfectly put together. Um, you don't have to go into a lot of detail, just one cast of a show or even a movie or anything that you feel was just, this cast was like, there was no bad casting in this. Uh, sure. Uh, a show that 
and I, and I've said this a couple times, I believe, on our show that that found me when I was in college and I was studying Shakespeare and just living that life of just like a college student who's just doing all this art and stuff was a Canadian show called Slings and Arrows. And it's a three season show that was written to only be three seasons. And it's about this fictional theater company that, and you follow their journey as they put on like one main stage Shakespeare show and then a smaller stage production. But it, the the cast is just incredible and names are escaping me but like i know rachel mcadams is in the show but for me these this cast and the writers and the team just like told me it's okay to be really passionate to be so passionate about this art and and these stories and that when creative people come together exciting stuff the stuff that life is built on happens and that's a that's a show that will always, always stick with me. Um, I'd have to say for me, it's Alias. Yeah. I, 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 Alias to me, there is no bad character, no bad actor in Alias. Carl Lumley, Jennifer Gardner, Bradley Cooper, uh, uh, Ron Rifkin, Kevin Wiseman. I mean, all of them are just fantastic. And, and on top of that, there's a character that you fall in love with. Uh, one character in that show, you'll have a different person say that this is their favorite character uh, for different reasons. And it's one of the best casted ensemble shows I think I've ever seen in a, in a long time. And then I'll also throw a loss out there just as a. Oh, a, so a, if you're, if you're going to throw another yeah, cast, I just out throw there. real quick, just real quick. Lord of the Rings. Oh, there you go. Oh, yeah. Because we, because I, I feel like that's where Desolation kindred of smog, spirits right? like your love. Oh for Harry yeah. Potter. Desolation of smog, right? <laughs> oh, uh, not, not, the, not the Hobbit Fellowship. trilogy oh, as sorry. much, but like Fellowship. Fellowship. Uh, Daniel. Um, <laughs> But Lord of the Rings, just because that was also like, that was one of the first movies that I ever saw that was, this is a true ensemble. I 100% agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give you a couple. Okay, go ahead. Uh, classic, always favorite ensemble ever, Young Frankenstein. Oh, <laughs> no. It's just it's so good. Oh, I someone. <laughs> I mean, you could really just pick any Mel Brooks movie, and the casting and all of them are fantastic. Absolutely, that that is also my all time favorite movie. Um, the formative shows for me that where I really started thinking about casting unconsciously were Ally McBeal, um, The West Wing, Six Feet Under, and Oz. Uh, West Wing for sure is yes. fantastic, and Oz is one of my favorite. I'm so happy you said Oz. All Nobody ever people? says Oz. <gasps> Nobody. Oh my god, I loved Oz. Oh. Um, but and now I want an Oz podcast. Yes. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> Called Over the Rainbow. Let's do it. <laughs> Love Oz. Uh, okay, well, I can talk about that all day. But and then my my current favorite um, is an Australian show that you can see on Netflix called Wentworth, mm-hmm. which is my favorite ensemble starting season two. Season one is awesome, but um, starting with season two, that's my my current favorite ensemble. Nice, fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing that. And oh, Oz, anyways. Um, Lord of the Rings is also fantastic. Like just <laughs> you think? that that story of their production and everything is just insane. For me, when when I think of you know you're you're talking earlier in our conversation about like the goals that we kind of give ourselves or whatever. If I could have a Lord of the Rings experience, where, where filming something for three years, three and years, living like with you have everybody to, move to a, a country, yeah. and you like that's your your tribe better talk to Karen Brother, I hear you because it's my favorite fantasy series and it was shot in New Zealand where they did Xena like 
pilgrimage. Oh my gosh. Yes, 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 yes. So I hope to one day have a Lord of the Rings experience. I'll work on that for you, buddy. Thank you. Well, uh, thank you so much, Beth. I mean, this conversation has just been inspiring and emotional and amazing, all in great ways. I really appreciate your honesty and your openness and, and, and your, your, all the words you said were just incredible. Um, so thank you. Thank, and thank you. Thank you for, you know, giving everyone a voice. Hey, that's what and this listening. is about. Absolutely. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Of uh, real quick, before we go, Beth, before we started, <clears throat> I asked you for six numbers between one and 167. And you have no idea what these are about. You haven't seen anything related to these numbers. Get ready. I'm now going to tell you what day, year, and month you're going to die. No, oh, just kidding. God. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, after Friendster and before Facebook, there was a wonderful place that people went to waste time and wait for hours for things to load, a place where the top six and top eight were the most important things in your life. And your friends, if you were in their top eight, you weren't friends. And that place was MySpace. Oh, God, yes. And another thing about MySpace were quizzes that had no meaning to your life, just wasted hours and hours of time. That would be about 200 questions long. I found one of those quizzes. It's 167 questions. These, the, the best part about this is just answer. No explanation needed. Just answer the question. Yes, no, whatever it is. And we'll, we'll move on. Because that's the best part about this is the non-explanation of it. So, <clears throat> Beth Ryan, are you ready for your MySpace quiz? Sure. <clears throat> question one. Have you dated someone twice? No. All right. Have you ever kissed someone and regretted it? Yes. Have you, man, there's a theme to all these questions. You really picked them. Have you ever kissed anyone on your friends list? And I'm thinking them at MySpace, but you can go off Facebook now if you'd like. Yes. (laughs) See, no explanation. It makes it really awkward, but it's fun. Um, Have you ever cheated on somebody? No. Your wife is right over there, so I'm glad. (laughs) Have you ever missed the bus? Yes. Yes. And the final question for your MySpace quiz, Beth Ryan, have you ever been in a car accident? Yes. Thank you so much, Beth Ryan, for taking your MySpace quiz. Lots of car accidents here in LA. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, definitely keep a lookout for Beth. She is amazing. Look out for any workshops. If you're in LA, she may be doing. She's fantastic. And also when we release this episode, we will also be sharing uh, the uh, the crowdfunding uh, campaign that Beth will be launching for her documentary. And the name of the documentary again? Feeling Seen. Feeling Seen. And it's guys, it's going to be amazing. Keep on the lookout for this because this is going to be an amazing, amazing project. We hope you can contribute. And now back to Daniel in the studio. Welcome back, guys. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Uh, even re-listening to it when we were going through it for quotes and uh, cuts and, and for this outro, I, I can't tell you how inspired I was again just by re-listening to it. It was so good. And at the end of it, we talked about Beth's uh, documentary, Feeling Seen. 
Uh, it's got a Kickstarter going right now. It's going to wrap up soon. But we have some clips from the trailer, and let's uh, play those now. Michael, lay them in. My name is Beth Ryan, and I'm so excited to share this documentary with you. When I was growing up, it never occurred to me that I could ever have the life that I have now. Not being seen, not being visible, told me that I wasn't an important member of society, that my needs, wants, and desires were not considered because they didn't matter. The history of lesbians in, well, greater media, a lot of times it was very punishing. It was, yes, you can be queer, but this is not a good thing. This is not something you aspire to be. This is not something that you should want to be. What they would do is they would say, oh, we're going to do a series about an empowered woman. Play them as bi, and then realize they actually like guys. So what they're doing is they're actually apologizing for their true selves by appealing to what men want to see. Any le masculine lady is a predator, is a prisoner, is a gross, is a gross person. Like I'm not, I'm not like that. I'm like an actual woman in my, you know what I mean? I was like pretty much certain that I wouldn't be able to live my life the way I wanted and that I needed to unless I was in prison. While television has the power to degrade and belittle and chastise and suppress, it also has the opposite effect. It can uplift, it can empower, it can embolden. And that happened for me. I just recently watched The Fosters, and it blows my mind that that's on primetime. If that was on when I was a kid, then I, there was a lot of internalized homophobia, I think, that wouldn't have been installed because there's role models. There's families that you look like a family I might be interested in building. You know, I've had every kind of experience from a, you know, a woman saying, you know, I finally was able to come out to my parents because of your show. And seeing the truth of that in her eyes, I mean, I'm reduced to tears in the aisle, you know, in the, in the meat aisle at Trader Joe's. I feel like TV saved my life in a lot of ways. You can find refuge in, like, in, in stories where you find your story reflected. This is our story. No longer are we satisfied to sit on the sidelines. We are here. We're ready to be seen. For the next few days, we will be promoting the Kickstarter of this film on our social media. At the time of this recording, Beth has been able to raise $27,630 of her $50,000 goal. She's over 50% people. And as the airing of this episode, which is being released on Tuesday, May 22nd, that will mean she only has one day left to reach her goal. So please consider contributing to this film. As you just heard in our Act 2 interview, you'd be giving to a story that is all about love, being open, and you'll be able to support those voices that are be given to this film. So please, give to this film. It is worth it, I promise you. Now, I don't like doing this alone. We did that for far too long. So let me bring in my brother and my Kickstarter, Mr. Michael Lutheran. For far too long, we were alone. <laughs> I feel like there's a song there somewhere. Yeah. Far but no more. Oh, oh, wait. You wouldn't like lay Miz route. <laughs> you, I know. <laughs> far too long. At the end of the day, it was too <laughs> Until long. Until I see the sun and Michael. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Uh, yeah, a, you, you making it? I'm making it. It's a beautiful morning. 
so it is far. a beautiful morning. It's a beautiful morning. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm doing good. It's been fun re-listening to this interview. Uh, this was one of the first ones we recorded uh, here in the new year. And it's it's just so cool chatting with Beth. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, our listeners will get a nice little treat of a fun bit we we get we had during a break in conversation yeah fun little the outtake at the end yeah yeah, yeah absolutely it, make sure you stay tuned for that but um it's it's just been so great talking with beth and i think uh in this specific act two we went very deep we we it's probably one of our most deepest act two discussions that we've had here on the pod so it it was I think you and I were both just messaging each other while we were re-listening to it, being like, oh my gosh, this or this. Like <laughs> right? This moment, this is this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so uh that was pretty cool. How how are you doing, man? I'm good, man. It, it, it's morning. Uh I'm waking up, about to go uh head out to the job after we record this. Actually, I'll probably take a shower and then go to the job. Um Good, because I can is, smell you from here. <laughs> cleanliness is heavenliness. Um, but uh, yeah, it's I mean pretty uh, basic. What, what's been going on in your life uh, specifically? Yeah. Um, so last we chatted uh, here on the podcast, I was about to have my tech rehearsal for Met Again. So did when's that, that preview? <laughs> Uh, the preview is June 3rd uh, <laughs> for any of our listeners who are wondering is like, why is Michael all of a sudden being like showcasey June 3rd? It's because uh, <laughs> when we initially recorded our outro for last week's episode, I accidentally said a wrong date, but it is June 3rd. That's a Sunday. And yeah, you can get tickets for that specific preview show for 60 cents. So did, did you say awesome. June 3rd is the preview of the amazing dramatic short play met again oh it's not too short it's going to be about 70 minutes but oh is it okay never mind yes that normal size play (laughs) normal la sized play (laughs) i i keep finding that at least in los angeles i'd love to hear from listeners who live in other markets um what the average run of their shows tend to be but i'm finding that at least here in la with theater producers and theater companies are more so just like you know what let's get them in let's let's tell this story let's not break it up for any reason and let them let the audience leave like so let's let's not give them any break whatsoever if they need to pee they should have done it before the play started (laughs) well and i can kind of get it um a few years back i did a show uh at the atwater village theater called no homo and i i don't think you got a chance to see it but you know it's not unfortunately it was a commitment comedy but definitely a tragedy about two best friends who are uh identify as straight living together and everyone thinks they're in a relationship and you know of course there's the question of like oh wait do i love this person could i be in a relationship with them and it just didn't make sense to break up the play at any point there was not a good moment to be like oh and here's where you can have 15 minutes of awkward silence <laughs> right <laughs> with the audience <laughs> so uh we just barreled through it and it was like 90 minutes just straight through and so with the fringe festival being in a festival format uh you know most shows are only about 45 to 60 minutes um mm-hmm. ours is just a little bit longer um and that's one of the things we're currently working on right now uh 
uh, it was last week we did you know our second run ever of the show and we clocked in at 90 minutes so we're definitely and and that's just more so from the trying to get used to connecting all the threads together right um you need to start going then, at that gilmore speed oh my gosh yeah <laughs> and and then during our tech rehearsal um last week we're supposed to be there from eight to 12 and ended up being like around one o'clock by the time we got out um, in the morning That's tech for you. Tech never goes the t- amount of time it's supposed to. Ever. Yeah, exactly. And we quickly realized like, Oh wow, we have a lot more space than mm-hmm. we've been blocking for, but also, you know, wow, these transitions can't take their jolly time. Like we need to jump to it right now. So huh. It's something that we've gonna be that we're gonna be working on. Our director is actually currently in Hawaii, so um, I just hosted a rehearsal here at my apartment uh, just this past week. We're gonna be rehearsing here again tomorrow, but uh, the playwright has been sitting in on the rehearsals since uh, Sean's been out. So it was really cool getting his perspective. He he kind of cleared things up for us that doesn't you know, dramatically shift the way we're telling this story, but it just, it, it's good stuff to know, I guess. <laughs> right, right, right. Absolutely. Uh, what else is going on, buddy? Um, I, I have here on our outline. Uh, so last year you and I collaborated on a couple scenes for my acting reel. And, mm-hmm. uh, we did that with good friend, uh, Peter Grayson. He's casted me in a couple other projects and stuff. And, for whatever reason, time, my acting class or whatever, I never incorporated those scenes into my acting reel. And so I went back recently to look for them and I couldn't find them. I think mm. something happened on my computer or whatever, maybe it glitched out or I accidentally deleted it somewhere. So I reached out to him and be like, please tell me you have a copy of these scenes. And he was like, yeah, no problem. Like he, I, apparently he, he, he thought I had downloaded them, so he deleted them off the Google Google Drive folder. Uh, mm. but, but it was so cool kind of going back and watching those scenes. It, that was over a year ago. Right. Think, that was a while right? back. Yeah. Yeah, we, we filmed that at my medical office um, one Sunday afternoon. Um, but it was fun. It was it was really good. And I it was, can't yeah, it was a lot of fun, a lot of hard work put into it. You guys did a great job just taking those in and it's like, okay, I need to get back to the business part of acting and Mm -hmm. make sure I update my reel. So it has just like the most updated material that I've done. And yeah, so just like, I'm not going to put myself in the danger of like, it's due by this date, but like giving myself goals of like, okay, this month I'm going to focus on updating my reel this month, updating the website might be talking to our buddy, Mike Tobias, (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> uh, who who did our Hollywood Hustle podcast uh, website? Absolutely, yeah. He, I would definitely. That's a good idea. Like giving yourself long goals because you know how busy you are, but making yep. sure that you have like a goal. So it's like you said, like by the end of this month, I'm going to do this, and by the end of this month, I'm going to do this, and by the end of this week, I'll do this. But not saying like tomorrow at 5 p.m. I've got to have this in and ready to go. <laughs> exactly. How about you, man? Uh, how's your week been? 
It's been good. Uh, started the interview process to hopefully become permanent at the job uh, at, at Marvis Entertainment. Um, had my interview yesterday uh, as of this recording with the a head of HR. Um, it was really interesting because it's a, I've never interviewed at a place that I've been at for a month. So it was really it's such a different. And the day before we had this like massive town hall where they kind of went over the history of the company and the values of the company and their goals and all this stuff. And, and so they it's talked about like, how they never have people named Daniel working. Yeah. For their office. And we, we've only we already filled our quota for Daniel so that there's been a Daniel hiring freeze starting today. <laughs> um, I was like, does that include me? Uh, but. It was it was really it was really great. It was a fun discussion. We talked about the podcast a little bit, and we talked about like our favorite podcasts. We talked about Dallas and uh, Triple D and uh, uh, some of the other things, and just uh, about the job itself. And so today, I'm meeting with one of my executives that I'm I'm working with um, to kind of interview with them, and then tomorrow I'm meeting with the other one who's the more of the say in the long run. So. Um, it, it seems like they're, they're, they're down with me being permanent. Um, I think if the interviews go really well, I, I'd be very surprised if the, if it didn't happen, um, just because the language they've been using with me and you can definitely tell like they're excited to chat with me about staying on, um, which is nice to know means I've been doing something right. So yeah, uh, here's hoping knocking on wood, man, knocking on wood. But, uh, also yesterday, as of this recording, I we both Angie and I found out that two of our best friends, Nikki and Corey, who we who live in San Francisco, and we frequently every year we go to San Francisco to celebrate July Fourth with them. You know, you know, you know about this, Michael. Yeah. Um, and Corey is also the guy who made the basis for our logo that you ended up kind of updating and adding some stuff to. Um, yeah. And uh, found out yesterday they're having a baby. So we're, yeah, we're, we're super excited. Yeah, we're super excited for them. And I just wanted to throw a shout out to Corey and Nikki. We're super excited for you guys. Congratulations. Uh, the baby's coming in November. So hope, I think it's going to be a, around the same birthday as Nolan. Um, so yeah, we're super, we're super excited for them. So, so just wanted to, so cr- just wanted to throw crazy. a shout out. That's so crazy. Just how like, I mean, cause you also know my baby niece, her birthday is like right next to Nolan's I honestly well. forgot. God, God, I thought you were going to say, uh, it's funny because we just found out we're pregnant. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> All of a sudden, like, Daniel kills What a way, what a way to tell me. <laughs> just, uh, just, just so nonchalantly. <laughs> uh, you know, we're oh, yeah, pregnant, BT Debs, We're having a kid. Um, what? What was that? <laughs> we're, we're having a kid and we're trying to find a job for it so that it can pay you rent. Just, you said LA. that like you that you're you said that like you were looking for a new like place to live. Yeah, we found a nice apartment. Uh, yeah. we're gonna, it's gonna it's got yeah, really we found good a rent. nice baby. It's it's growing. It's it's got really good <laughs> uh, momentum. Price is gonna be a little high, but I think we can handle it. <laughs> Probably can't, but it's okay. <laughs> Anyways, what what were you saying? I'm sorry. Oh no, nothing. I was I was just uh, I was joking around there, but I was just uh, in terms of the job interview and stuff. I mean, I think the best thing to do is just to keep going, just to keep showing up and doing your best work and stuff. Yeah. I mean, hopefully they offer you the job, but just to go in in some ways without any expectations. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, like just be sure of the quality of you and your work. And I think if they're smart, they'll, they'll know what to do. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm super excited to finish up the interview process. I know they have one other outside interview today. And from what I've heard, they're hoping to make their decision next week. So here, here's hoping, man. Hopefully by the next outro recording, I'll be telling you guys that I got the job. So that you're the head of the studio. I am now the owner of Marvis Entertainment and I am terrified. Um, so, you know, we, uh, I, we caught up, you know, we've talked about the episode and how, how much it inspired us just re-listening to it and how much we talked about it. You know, I, I let's, I, let's talk about a few of the specific things I think that hit us from this discussion and maybe the, the themes of both discussions overall. Um, one of the things that kind of really hit me when we, especially from this last discussion was about, you know, respecting those who give their time to you and are looking for knowledge and growth in in this industry and other industries. And we talked about the intern business model that is really big in LA, where you start as an unpaid intern, maybe doing coverage or helping out as a PA on set or an office PA, and or which is personal assistant, by the way, for anybody that doesn't, or production assistant also. Um, and, you know, how it's important if you're someone who's over some of these interns is to remember to be respectful and know that they're there for knowledge. They're there to learn. They're there to learn from you. And it's, it's in your, it's in your best interest in the long run to share that knowledge, whatever knowledge you may have about whatever business you're in with them and, and make sure you, mentor them because that's what they're there for they're not there just to do the work you don't want to do and and then on the other side if you're an intern be respectful to the people above you they may not be able to take you into every meeting or onto every set or you know to to every little event but keep doing the work and and that's what's going to keep that's what's going to want to make you keep you full-time is that they and and it may not happen right away and like the hr lady i talked to yesterday that good businesses remember good people. Mm-hmm. And if you temp for them or intern for someone, and just because maybe you're not hired full-time right away, they'll remember you. And if you did a great job, they'll call you and ask you, hey, we have this job opening. Do you want to come in and, and intern and, and check it out? So just, just stay respectful, do the work, and be your best self. That, 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 that conversation really, I think, is important to have. Absolutely. And again, just echoing kind of the point of like, it's so important to just build good relationships and to learn from not only, you know, your your mentor or the bosses, but to also learn from those who are doing your the same or similar work that you're doing. Everyone has something to offer, even if it's not in your specific department. Um, I was speaking to a patient of mine in the office the other day, and she was telling me, I asked her what she did because she, I could tell that she worked in production and she said she was a line producer. And I said, wow, how long have you been doing that? And she said like the past 30 years and she got started by just being a PA on set. And so you just never know what path you're going to go down, what skills you're going to gain. And that as you keep going, whether it's the universe or whatever it is that guides you towards the path that you're supposed to be on that specific uh, piece of information that you keep finding interesting and that you keep asking more questions about until 
one day you're not just a PA, you're a specific head of a department. Uh, sorry, to, to go off that real quick, yeah. to follow to follow that, and, and just like kind of I think in the sense of relationships, like trying to find the right girl or guy or whatever, you never know what job you're going to fall in love with. And so you may come here kind of like Jazz Trice and several others. You come here for one thing and then fall in love with another position or another job. And you feel like that's a better fit in the long run. And so just to be open to that is really important as well. Really good point. I mean, I know we had that early on in the episode, but uh, the the message couldn't, you know, definitely something to take away from this discussion. Mm-hmm. Um. And then, and then another point that really kind of got, you know, we obviously talked about feeling seen and, you know, about the representation of, of lesbians and media and, 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 and other LGBTQ uh, communities. But, you know, one of the things I think on the other side is important and kind of what with what Beth's doing is to make sure that you make work that represents the world equally. You know, it's 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 almost in a lot of ways needs to be about kind of in a sense of a news anchor or a, a reporter where sometimes it's it's important to not put your own thoughts in something and like say this is what's right. You know, you need to show the, what the world is, what it is and for what it is. And that's part of, I think, our responsibility as creators and artists is to represent the world and mm-hmm. different at facets of it and to show the honesty and, and honestly portray it and, and don't, and, and, and yeah, obviously depending on your demographic and who you're going for, you're going to, the, the, the content itself is going to be altered a little bit for that demographic. If you're going for kids, you're not going to do an American history X style movie or show, but you, you definitely still want that honesty to be there and that open, because again, that causes discussions. Mm-hmm. And that that's what's important. Well, and also it's just representation matters and how that representation is depicted really, really matters. Um, you know, Beth shared about like how her experience of watching uh, Friends and how Ross's, you know, ex-girlfriend comes out as a lesbian and how she's basically just ridiculed. And at the time, that was the only type of character or like, you know, someone who's lesbian or who, who loves women was always just played as the bunt end of a joke. And so that really affected her own personal um, emotions and feelings about herself. And mm. so how we depict people on screen matters and we have right. to be more responsible about that. And I think exactly what you said, it's, you know, I, I think it's all about taking on not only as artists, uh, you know, trying to be the most true and honest, but also being responsible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think of films, recent films like Get Out or Black Panther, where, you know, you have, uh, whether it's Ryan Coogler or Jordan Peele, like, you know, they they are telling their communities stories through, through these different narratives. And sure, they might be heightened to the world of Marvel superheroes or this super dark thriller uh, story that's having deeper conversations about, you know, racism in this country and stuff. But they're telling their communities stories and the issues and stuff, and they're not, you know, bringing in other people and 
trying to say this is what they're about. Right. They're they're representing what they know. They're yeah, representing, they're representing the, what the they knowledge know. they have and and the and the and and the world they've lived in. Mm-hmm. And, and, and 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 their view, their how they perceive the world. Yeah. And I think of, you know, one of our most recent guests here on the show, Moon McMillan, and what she's trying to do with young movie makers of America of like trying to bring the youth in Compton, you know, to bring their uh stories, their own perspectives to the film industry. And right. you know, and to be authentic and to show, you know, that the media has depicted Compton to appear a certain way, and that's not correct. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and and so it's just like, yeah, representation and how we depict that representation matters. And so it it requires, you know, as us as artists to invite others into the conversation in our work mm-hmm. as it's being developed. And sometimes put our own feelings aside and our own emotions to make sure we're doing something uh, justice mm-hmm. in the long I, run. I, I know you, Daniel, whenever you're writing, you, you write a lot of great, strong female characters. And I know you have your, your group of friends who are women who that, you know, whenever you write anything, you send it out to them mm-hmm. to be like, hey, yeah. I've written this. Can you please give me your thoughts? Let me know if what I've written is, uh, is representative of how, of how you feel. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, that's another important thing to bring up. I'm glad you brought that up is as writers and creators, it's important to have other cultures and other people and other uh, points of view around you to help you with that. Cause you know, if you're writing a movie that has three female leads and you're surrounded by a room of straight white men trying to decide if this makes sense, that's going to be a problem. You're going to miss something. You're going to miss something important. And so it's important to have those points of view. And that's, I think, that fight for more women in the room and more, you know, uh, 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 different ethnicities and, and, and making sure your room is filled with so many different backgrounds and points of view is so important. You know, just to round out the our te- takeaways, one of the big things that I just kind of hit me was when Beth talked about how to not edit yourself. And, you know, she was speaking from the perspective of like when she's been casting or when she was trying to come up with interviews, uh, she, you know, f- found like she found uh, someone who already fit a specific demographic that is similar to her. So she can't have another one. And she caught herself editing that that part of herself, even though this is her own project. She was like, oh, well, I've already had enough of that one type of person. And we all do that. And I think I myself as an actor, especially, there have been so many times where I haven't submitted to an audition because I look at the breakdown and it's like, oh, we're looking for six foot tall shredded guy or whatever. And it's just like you read these castings and it's just like, Ah man, I I'd love to. This project sounds amazing. This sounds like something I've I've always wanted to audition for. But they are clearly not open to someone that's not Chris Hemsworth or something like that. So it's just, or you know, you walk into an audition and immediately you tell yourself, "Oh wow, there's five other versions of myself in this room because we we all have very similar fit uh, physical characteristics and stuff." And it's so easy to let that stuff get in the way of your actual work and 
you know, or even in like rehearsal and stuff. So many times will Sean be like, Hey, like, just do it. Like for, I'd rather you do more and have me pull you back than me try to like get something out of you. Um, and it's just so important to not edit yourself, to just be your authentic self and not let, whether it's similarities or differences or anything affect how you walk into the room, how you, you know, whether it's at work or on set or in a project or anything, just, just be you. And to, to know that there is only one you and, you know, people want to see that. And I think we all need reminding of that sometimes. Absolutely. I, you know, that kind of, it, that you know, talking about that kind of hit me also in the sense of like the same, partly kind of in the same way where it's like the, looking at, you know, breakdowns for acting and stuff. But, you know, I've talked to you before how hard it is for me to like write a part for me mm-hmm. in a script because I don't see myself being the lead character. And I have trouble for some reason putting my me in certain positions. And I think part of it is that editing mentality. And that mentality of like, well, no, I, I, I don't fit this mold that people are used to or people majority want. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is really important. And I, and I also want to take this kind of um, from a different uh, way. There's a there's a podcast called Happier in Hollywood that one of the things they talk about is when you go interview for a job in L.A., one of the things they prefer if you interview with them, it's by two TV writers and showrunners that you need to be real with them. And they said they won't hire anyone um, that doesn't use the F word at least once during an interview. <laughs> and because like we, you, you need to be honest because you can be as fake as you want an interview, but you still have to work with these people. And so are you going to keep this character that you create to try to get a job? the whole time you work there or are you going to come in and be real and let us hire you for who you are and don't think just because you may cuss by accident or you do this or that you know not that it's preferred but especially in the film industry it's usually more available (laughs) as an option um, because it is such in some ways a more relaxed industry in that sense but um, you know, it's I, I say that to say, you know, it's important when you approach something, a meeting or an interview, especially in this business, be you as you know, be the best version of you, but be you. And I think that's something that's really important to talk in the sense of editing yourself. Yeah. And, 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 I, and, and you know, that kind of thing. Well, and also, I know we've talked previously on the podcast about at times how we could it feels like there's such an oversaturation of content at times out there because everyone feels the need. And, you know, partially it is like some casting directors are telling actors, like you need to go out and make stuff. You need to be your own writer and producer and stuff. And, and we've, you know, I've embraced that. And I do think a lot of that is true, but I think at times where it is kind of a hangup is because people are making content that is just to fit, a specific type or, you know, I'm going to make my own version of this same established story as, as opposed to just being you. Yeah, absolutely. Make, con- make content that speaks for you. Yeah. Um, I think that's really important. But while we're kind of on this, you know, 
kind of inspirational track bet Scott is thinking about all of these things, uh, let's give out our hustle support statements. Hey, absolutely. Uh, yeah. We love to get you guys started in the week with something positive and maybe challenge you and inspire you to be your best self and to do your best work and to hustle. And so every week we love to bring these statements that usually relate to the show and the episode. So absolutely. Thank you for bringing that, bringing us to this, Michael. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, Michael, you recently suggested to me uh, an episode of the podcast TED Talk Radio called The Art of Listening. In the episode, it is mentioned that some people are told that their stories do not matter. I hope we can all agree that the that that just is not true. And after the conversation that we just heard with Beth discussing the importance of your story being told and represented, that the idea of someone's story not mattering is not, nor will it ever be, true. Though... There are many differences between modern civilizations and cultures and those come and gone. A few commonalities still remain. One of the biggest being the telling of stories. From fables, gospel lessons, historical and cultural education, all the way to basic entertainment stories, have always been a part of us. And no story carries more weight and can have more impact than yours. Your story does not need to have crazy twists or exciting action sequences, they just need to have real and honest emotion and connection with the complexities and similarities of humanity. Puberty, first dates, first kiss, teenage regrets, like one certain podcast host phase of getting blonde tips, I'm just saying. Your story can inspire, can entertain, can teach, or for a few moments, make someone laugh and forget all of their worries. So please remember that no matter the platform that you share it, either on film or on stage or just at a water cooler at work, you have worth. Your worth is not dependent on others' views or thoughts about you. Your life has meaning, and in the words of another podcast we know very well, your story matters. Boom. Dropping that mic. Yeah. Um, and, you know, guys, I... I want to invite you this week to have a conversation with someone. They could be a loved one, a coworker, someone you respect, or even a stranger. And if you hear them say something that is demeaning or casts someone or a group of people as an other or something less than, or even if they might simply cast something off as seemingly lighthearted and not really understand what it is that they're actually saying, have a conversation. Don't fight them but listen to them and respond. Share with them your story, your experience, and as Beth said, give that person a window into your world. And I know at this time right now in 2018, it can feel like many of us are divided and can't find common ground, but everyone understands what it feels like to be left out, to be misunderstood, to just want to be loved and to love, and to be recognized for our own humanity. If you enjoyed this conversation, then I highly recommend you listen to the episode that Daniel was just talking about uh, on the TED Radio Hour podcast. And again, it's called The Act of Listening. And also in that episode, someone says, you can't hate someone whose story you've heard. Now, I know you might not agree with that person or they you, but hopefully through conversation, we can gain an understanding of just who they are 
but also what you stand for and what you believe in. So that's, that's, it's so true. And I just want to throw out, I wish Michael would have warned me, have some Kleenex near you when you listen to this episode, especially near the end, because trust me, you, there will be tears oh, <laughs> while you listen yes. to that, that episode. And, and we're, I don't think we shy away from suggesting other podcasts that we enjoy. And I know Michael, you've been listening to the Ted talk, uh, Ted radio hour for a while. Um, oh, yes. but this episode really is impactful. And especially it talks about a, uh, another podcast in a radio, sh- uh, 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 not a show, but a radio thing called StoryCorps. And I think that's that's is something definitely listen to and, and, and I think is really important and such a cool kind of audio documentary. Yeah, um, StoryCorps, they, um, they all of their interviews are put into the uh, Library of Congress and it is the highest amount of recorded interviews of just the American public. And essentially the basis of the idea is they have StoryCorps booths set up throughout the country where just two people walk into a booth and they just talk and they record the conversation. They could be, you know, family, they could be best friends, or, you know, they could be people of opposing political thought and stuff. But it's all about trying to just capture what people are thinking, what people are feeling, and how sharing your story can affect the other person. That that by sh- sharing your story, you can truly change how people think. And so that's why I think it's just so important that, you know, if you feel like, if you hear something and you're like, wait a minute, what what are you trying to say? Like, I, I'm, I'm just kind of confused. Can you clarify for me what you're trying to say? Have a conversation don't don't try and approach it as like oh i think you're this like a blanket label no don't don't go into fight go in there to learn and i think i, I maybe teach is too strong of a word but i think it's honestly just understand by- it's also about like you kind of like you said listening and understanding to build a bridge of commonality and mm-hmm. knowing that a person is not just their political views there's more to them than than that. And also their views come from somewhere. Views aren't just something you just say, oh, you know what, today I'm going to hate someone. Like it's not, that's not how it works. They mm-hmm. come from a past and they come from events and moments that have happened to them. And so it's important to find those understandings. You know, there may be a, a really hard and sad reason why they maybe hate a certain group of people that, you know, just cultivated over time. And so it's important to remember to listen and understand and, and, and not just blurt out, no, no, you're wrong. And this is my point of view. Um, you know, Michael, people have heard our thoughts. Where can people share their thoughts? Yeah, we would love to hear what you guys think of today's interview with Beth Ryan. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Hollywood Hustle Podcast. And on Twitter, we're at L.A. Hustlecast. Um, Daniel, what are your I Instagram am, handles? <laughs> I, I am at D Tuttle on Instagram. That's D T U T T E L. And on Twitter, I am Daniel Tuttle, T U T T E L. How about you, Michael? I am just at Michael Lutheran on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, so you can also shoot us an email with your thoughts. Um, or or if you, you know, want to send us an email, you could also shoot that over to us to hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, please like, retweet, share this episode. Um, Reach out to Beth if you want to have more of a conversation with her. Uh, She is at 
at Beth underscore Ryan, and that's R-Y-N-E on Instagram, and let her know that Daniel and I sent you. And please, guys, she has one more day left of her Kickstarter. Go check out Feeling Seen. Just Google Feeling Seen Kickstarter, and please contribute. Any amount is appreciated, um, and it's going towards such an amazing uh, program. And we also know that life can be busy sometimes. You book the you book the office uh, you book the office the job. You're trying to finish that book, the screenplay, or just life happens. But as a supporter of several podcasts, you don't want to get left behind. That's where our side hustle episodes come in. Released every Monday, catch a preview of our upcoming episode for that week, highlighting some of the great conversations that we have with our guests in the full episodes. The side hustles is where you get to keep connected when you may not have have the time to listen to the full episodes so you can still join the conversation on social media. Also, don't forget to share this and any other of our episodes with your friends, family, and fellow artists as who are looking for inspiration to kickstart their journey. If you've been listening to us for a while and want to give the, give to the hustle, visit our website, www.hollywoodhustlepodcast.com, and visit our website, and on the bottom of that homepage, you'll see a PayPal button where you're able to give a one-time or uh, uh a reoccurring monthly donation or contribution to the show that all goes towards the production of the show and help with the expansion of the Hollywood Hustle brand. Now, in case you're joining us for the first time, and first of all, huzzah, yay, we're happy to have you. But be sure to to join our current contest. Uh, Every other month or so, we try to have a Hustle contest of the month. And our previous guest, Alexandra Boylan, uh, you can check out her interviews in episode 53 and 54, uh, she's giving away copies of her book, Create Your Own Career in Hollywood, advice from a struggling actress who became a successful producer. And we also have a signed copy, one signed copy. So uh, you can listen to her uh, episodes to hear more about her journey. Meanwhile, head over to our website, hollywoodhustlepodcast.com to take our listener survey to be entered in on this contest. But why stop there? But Why? You can also get an additional entry by submitting a review for our show on iTunes. Yes, so two chances to win this incredible book. So don't wait. Go now by entering your thoughts on our listener survey on our website, hollywoodhustlepodcast.com, and submitting a review on iTunes. And then next week, we introduce you to the incredibly positive, hardworking, and talented Megan LaMontagne. Megan came to La La Land from Pelham, New Hampshire, but she did not come here to be an actor, a screenwriter, or even a director. She came here to uh-huh. host, and she <laughs> right. She came here to host, and she is damn good at it. From the Pretty Little Liars after show, her own Mega Boss blogs and videos, to working for Disney and NASCAR, to currently being one of the three hosts of the fantastic female empowerment podcast, Boss Please. Megan has truly worked her craft and proven how boss a hustle can be. So do not miss Act 1 with Megan LaMontagne, available on Tuesday, May 29th, and make sure to check out the podcast Boss Please Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Guys, thank you so much for joining us for this ride with Beth and this ride with the show. We love you guys. We hope that we are sharing your stories equally and respectively. We want you to go out there. We want you to present your world, your culture, and we want you to, we do challenge that you take the time. And when, if somebody brings up a point or a political 
argument that you don't agree with, don't just get defensive. Take a moment. Ask them why they believe that way. What brought them to that point? And maybe find a little understanding where you can have a human conversation that's not just over Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat. Just have an honest conversation in person with somebody this week because, trust me, it is so much better to get along than hate other people. Just so much better. Michael Lutheran, thank you so much for being my brother in this ride and joining me today. This has been so fantastic. And and I challenge you, sir, to chat with somebody this week and talk to somebody maybe that you haven't met before and just learn their story. Ooh, I shall. I'm excited. (laughs) And until then, until then, sir, let's always remember you, me, and everyone else to keep up up the the hustle. And we're out. Imagine back in the 1700s, like like Shakespearean times, if you had to have like a headshot. Oh my goodness! Like you, I have to like get an artist to draw my face. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it's like now now we have to do one of me being a nerd. Yes. <laughs> Wait, my ruffle wasn't drawn quite correctly. That likeness this is, is my, unbelievable. This is my leading man sketch. Here we go. <laughs> Hollywood Hustle Podcast was hosted by Daniel Tuttle and produced and edited by Michael Lutheran. Our website was designed by Mike Tobias, and you can find more information about us at www.hollywoodhustlepodcast.com. Hollywood Hustle Podcast.